Welcome to Office Talk, a fortnightly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leading architects about their approach to business, marketing, and communications. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, an architectural marketing expert and director of Office Dave Sharp, a marketing practice offering specialized consultancy, marketing, and PR services tailored to meet the particular needs of architects. Visit officedavesharp.com to learn more or follow the practice on Instagram at officedavesharp. This episode was sponsored by ArchiPro. ArchiPro showcases the best and latest in the architecture and building industry and helps to connect homeowners with trusted trade professionals and products that will suit their needs. For architects and designers, ArchiPro helps you to create a profile for your practice in a way that best expresses your brand and your work, and then it directly connects you with a niche audience of people on their architectural build or renovation journey. Many architects rely on word-of-mouth referrals or search engine traffic to find new clients, but it can be difficult to attract the people you really want to design for and work with. That's why ArchiPro helps clients to match their specific architectural taste and budget with the right architect or designer for their project. You can also use the platform throughout the design and build journey with your clients by directly sharing inspiration and sourcing products for your projects as well. So if you'd like to find out more about ArchiPro, visit www.archipro.com.au. Joining me on the show today is Gilad Ritz and John Paul Gagassian from Ritz and Gagassian, a six-person architecture and interior studio from Melbourne, best known for their restrained and considered approach to hospitality, retail, and residential spaces. In this episode, John Paul, Gilad, and I discussed how the studio deals with the marketing challenges of working on a limited number of projects each year with long gaps between finished work. We looked at how the studio has found that a traditional approach to business development involving email outreach, networking, referral, and repeat business has been more beneficial than social media when it comes to attracting quality clients. We discussed why experience has taught the studio that it's best to throw caution to the wind when deciding how much to spend on capturing work through photography, film and renders. We looked at how the studios identified interior design expertise as a key point of difference that helps them to stand out from other small architectural practices in the eyes of potential clients. And finally, we looked at how the studio used a quality over quantity mentality to carefully plan how they would invest their marketing budget in the early days of their studio, rather than spreading it too thin trying to do too much at once. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Gilad Ritz and John Paul Gagassian from Ritz and Gagassian. JP and Gil, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. No worries. So we always like to start off with a little bit of a background on the studio for anyone who's not familiar with Ritz and Gagassian. JP, do you want to start off with maybe just a little, I guess, brief overview of kind of what you guys do at the moment and I suppose the story of where the studio came from as well? Sure. So Gil and I met sort of 20 years ago now, it feels like a, a while ago, but um. We were friendly before we sort of came together as sort of a duo, uh, you might call it. Gil's background is in architecture, mine is in interior architecture. So we sort of formally, I guess, formed the, the office in late 2015, I think it was, with our first project starting in 2016. I uh, was practicing as a sole trader prior to, to Gil coming on board and I had a client come to me actually with a project that required some architectural work. So I sort of gave Gil a call and we sort of founded the office off, off the back of that project, which was a small sort of semi-detached project in Richmond that didn't end up going anywhere, but it actually sort of formed uh, a great foundation for, for a working relationship. 
from there, I had a little bit of work in the hospitality sector and sort of Gil came on board and we started doing sort of small hospitality projects together with the ambition to obviously do more sort of architectural work. And then, you know, so 2016 sort of landed a couple more projects and the studio sort of evolved uh, slowly over a period of time um, to what it is now. So we're a six-person practice based in Melbourne uh, that do sort of a, a number or a variety of projects spread across a, a, a couple of different, different sectors, still doing hospitality work and retail. Uh, we like those smaller projects. But then we're doing some larger multi-residential work uh, and commercial stuff as well. So, Yeah, I would just also add we're also doing single residential homes as well. And for us, I think where we see eye to eye is that we are creating space and volume as opposed to creating architecture based on form. Materiality is really important to us. So, for example, projects like Highbury Grove, being a residential home, you know, we explored a palette that was concrete slabs, concrete block work, and formulating spaces that were at once seen as one whole space, but then is also segmented through the architectural language. And what's really important to us, I think, is understanding the material that we use and how that's built and the tectonics around that. So, you know, zooming in and out constantly between the macro scale and then getting down into that micro scale and how things are put together is especially of interest to both of us, you know. I think one of the things that's really awesome about your studio is that even as um, a practice that started in 2016, you know, I started my business in 2016, I feel like we're kind of young businesses, young studios in a sense, but it seems that and feels like everything that you guys have done in the last few years has just been so consistent. And I'm really keen to understand whether that's more of a byproduct of having a very focused sort of set of things that you concentrate on in your design process or whether it's how you've kind of curated and that your sort of sensibility about how you put things out into the world uh, it's, at the end, it's probably going to be a mix of both. But I guess I'm curious to sort of unpack that and understand that a little bit better. Uh, does that sort of theme of consistency sort of make sense for you guys and, and kind of resonate with how you think about the Ritz and Gagassian brand from the outside? It, it does for me. I think there's probably, like you said, it's a bit of both. If I was to throw percentages, you know, 80, 20 or 90, 10, you know, yeah. being conscious of how the work is photographed, the, the representations that we put out there on the website or on social media, when we're asked to do uh, a lecture or we're asked to present, you know, a project at, at the Institute Awards, those type of things are very, I think, at the forefront of our minds, how we represent ourselves. Yep. But then the other 80 90%, it comes down to, I think, um, I guess, things that are probably intrinsic to, to our design process. You know, we don't start a new project and think, okay, you know, we hit the sort of reset button. We, we sort of take what we had done on the project before and, ha- and we keep on refining details. But we're also, I guess, in, in some regards, we are we sort of hold up a set of design principles, if you want to call them that, you know, and, and they also kind of evolving through each project. I think we started off being very dogmatic about how we put things together and, and maybe these days, as we're seven years into the practice, we can see different ways of achieving things. So it's not yeah. like the work isn't the same thing. I mean, from, from the architectural 
point of view, I, I like to think that there's a there's a strong emphasis on order, on hierarchy of materiality, um, light and volume, like I touched on in my intro. You know, those are really important things. Um, and how do we best express that? We don't sort of hit the reset button and go, all right, how are we going to achieve this? It's just taking those principles and and, and yeah. further developing them each time. So yeah, you guys have brought up a few key things that I think a lot of other guests have mentioned at different points. And they tend to be things that sort of reoccur when we're when I'm talking to practices that are quite known for like a, having a consistent, recognizable way of working. It's not to say that like, you know, their work is repetitive, but it's just they've found something that's identifiable with their practice. And it's, you know, having an, a set of principles, you know, three or four things that are sort of uh, concentrated on and important to the work, um, relying on their own personality, their own sort of traits and foibles and all of that sort of stuff to be a common th- common thread through the project. And the other one that comes up is looking at each project as sort of an evolution on the past one rather than a complete reset back to zero. Let's come up with a completely brand new idea. So it's interesting that you guys brought up those three because I feel like those have been really recurring themes and it's kind of blowing my mind to hear them again. Um, I, I just... Uh, does, do you think that's like kind of a decent, like those three areas are kind of capture it? Is there anything else that you'd sort of think contributes to that consistency? And You know, there's, it's, it's funny. I guess there's layers to the way in which we put together a project. And I guess that sort of um, starts at sort of the concept phase and there's deep discussion about the way in which a project should be put together and that sort of is a combination of obviously the client's brief and our expectations and then overlaid is the framework uh, in which we've started to, 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 to formulate as an office. I, I, guess, I guess maybe that's where the projects differ though, right? Like the, the client's um, input is what is what tends to make projects different or site is what tends to make projects different well i'm interested in the in the role that the the kind of the client plays as well because obviously they are that factor that as you sort of mentioned in, helps to introduce something new and there's other things that introduce new things and and new challenges into the projects that you have to sort of respond to but i'm interested in i guess like that as a place of consistency as well because one thing that a lot of practices do sort of bring up and talk about is kind of client selection or making sure that you're working with sort of ideal clients or being quite particular about the projects that you take on, the briefs that you take on. And there's a lot of different schools of thought on it. I mean, some studios are really against that. They don't believe in that and they don't think it's important. Others think that it's like absolutely critical and it's like they base their whole process on carefully selecting who they work with. So where where do you guys kind of sit on that? I would say that the best sort of client is one that trusts us, yeah. right? And I think that trust is, it, it's almost, it needs to be there from the start. They need to come to JP and, and, and me and say, you know, we want to work with you. We like what you do. Because I think if that's not there from the beginning, then um, we're playing this game of having to prove ourselves at every single point. And, you know, we, we're doing a house at the moment in queue. And I, I like that in this particular project, there's a, there's a great trust there. I can feel the trust there. And so when we make a decision, we understand it to be the best decision to move forward for whatever reasons the problems are arisen. The client trusts us completely. And so we can sh- show them and illustrate to them what the problem is, why this is the best solution. 
but you don't have to do more than that. And that makes for an easier relationship. And it means that time and time again, we can develop things together, right? We don't have to sort of beat around the bush. Yeah. I mean, I guess as a young office, we're learning as well, you know, at, at the very beginning, potentially we were taking on clients that we that we might not now, you know, because we didn't have the work under our belt. And I think as the studio grows, we're learning to say no to projects. I mean, I think it's a respectful thing to say that we're not the right office to take on your project, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Gil, you're talking about that kind of the trust factor and that you want them to come to you and say, you know, I know your work, I love your work, and I'm really just approaching you because I've already kind of pre-filtered myself and I know that I would love to work with your studio, which is a pretty amazing thing when that happens. You know, it reminds me of the episode I did with Sean Godsell where he was kind of talking about how he doesn't make it easy at all for <laughs> kind of people to to sort of find him and he doesn't really work hard at all to try and put himself out there. And I think his rationale with that was that in the end, the people that come to you, he does, he's not pushing them, he's not doing anything to lure them in. If they do come to him and they're ready to like work together, they're already kind of demonstrating quite a bit of commitment there. And it's that commitment and trust that he sort of looks for in the process. And it sort of reminds me a little bit of you guys, because I think as a practice, you are a little tiny bit mysterious. I don't know if you agree with me, but you're kind of a little bit, a little bit, a little bit mystique about the studio. And I sort of wonder, you know, do you find, now, A, do you kind of agree with me that there's a little bit of a mystique factor and B, do you find that being slightly like reserved, slightly a little bit back is actually helpful in leading towards, you know, you speaking to more of those clients that are there because, you know, they've actually really, really locked in on your studio and they've found you guys and they've done the work to kind of come to you versus just being super out there publicly spooking yourself and then just having like any sort of random person just kind of come to the studio. Do you think there's some connection there? First, I think I'm very flattered to be con- to be in the same uh, sentence as, as Sean Gossel. <laughs> but yeah. I think there is, there might be some, some, some mystique there. I don't think that that's necessarily um, done on purpose. I, I think what that's maybe about is we don't do a lot of projects. We've got a handful of projects that we care greatly about. And so like when we do put our energy into them, it, it, we give everything to these projects. And so potentially because we're not producing work at a very fast rate, potentially there's something there that um, makes it look as if you sort of see us from time to time yeah. and, and and maybe that gives that impression. I know it's interesting because we, we've, we've got someone in the office, a young, a young student working with us at the moment, and he really wants us to put out our work, internal renders and those kinds of things. Yeah. And it's, there's, a, there's a bit of tension there because I know that it'll, it'll probably garner a lot of attention. You know, we're doing some amazing projects in the office that we've got some great yeah. visualizations for but I just I don't know there's something there for, for us that I think doesn't accurately represent the office if, if we were to do that now in saying that we are working with professional renders at the moment doing because yeah. we I guess acknowledge the fact that there is such a, so a a bit of time in between some of our especially residential projects so 
working with established visualization studios to to represent the work that we do have whilst they're sort of in construction or going to tender. You know, so that's something that we are looking at. But I guess it is a more of a curated set of images as opposed to sort of just you know putting out uh, a, a ton of them on online. So yeah, yeah. No, I think it's always fascinating to see studios that have grown like a brand awareness and profile and reputation off such a low number of projects out there in the public domain because they've not released just tons and tons of sort of um, process or things in development, but they've just gone, here is two projects I've released or three projects, but they've managed to kind of, because of the quality of that work, it's always fascinating to see how fast some studios can go off the back of that. And I love it because I think it's so it so contradicts this idea that so many practices struggle with, which is I've got 20 projects on my portfolio, you know, 10 of them are really average and I did them 17 years ago, but I'm so reluctant to remove even just a couple of the, of the sort of dodgiest ones on the list because, oh my God, like I, I, everybody, I'm just not going to look like I know what I'm doing at that point. But then I see examples of the exact opposite where you can be a studio that's, really only you've done a lot of work but you might have only gotten to the point where you've finally photographed and can show in this very meticulous way a few so like carefully considered projects and it just like goes off and takes the world by storm (laughs) and I love to see that it's just such good evidence that that method of posting less or, or putting less out can sometimes be a lot stronger which I don't know I put you guys in that kind of bucket because because of those things we've mentioned. But I love that tension that you've got about the suggestion that maybe we should post more. I could absolutely see you on that on that fence at the moment going, I don't know which way to go. I think that's actually a really tough question, isn't it? Because you know that the stuff you put out would be strong and popular and really well received, right? So and get a lot of attention. But we but well, it's, I'm with you. I think it's a tough one. Yeah, no, no. I I, I think there is that tension for sure. I mean at the end of the day it doesn't have to be Black or white, it can be thought of as maybe doing less, but but doing it every now and then. I mean, sometimes we do look back and we look at the website and we say, you know, from a business perspective, maybe we need to get, put some fresh stuff up, up online, and so that means removing old projects. And and I think removing old projects is 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 good for us. It's, it's sort of like a cleansing kind of pro- process yeah. in the sense that. You know, as we evolve from project to project, some things just cease to be the best showcase of what of where we're at and where the studios are. And so, for from my from my perspective, anyways, I think there's a, there's something nice about you know showing a selection of projects that are reflective of where we want to be, what we're doing in the studio now. And and if that means because of a town planning process that's taken a year and a half to finally get to where we want to be then it might mean that we fill it in with shots of, of models that we've made in the studio or to render um, or it's just some beautiful illustrations that we've done just to just as kind of, I guess, try and showcase the right proportion of, of projects. Yeah. I mean, that's so, I think so funny that you guys have visualizations done by, I probably assume Mr. P um, or someone of that kind of level of quality and that you wouldn't be trying to squeeze every single drop of visibility that you possibly can out of those images, which I totally get in your situation. But for any other studio to think about making that sort of investment in visualization and then not doing every possible move you can make to promote that as much as possible 
is pretty, it's a pretty unique situation, I think. I think there's something unique about you guys in that respect. It's like, we've got these incredibly expensive things and we're just like going to, you know, keep them up our sleeves and not, and not sort of put them out there. And I think that that's just, it's crazy, but I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, to that point, I don't know if that's necessarily intentional. I think that's just sort of a, a function of uh, Gil and I's personality again, there, not wanting to push ourselves onto onto people. Um, yeah. But but it sort of does. I mean, it's it, that speaks to, I guess, the fact that we also haven't found that by putting out renders and really being too sort of onerous through social media we, we we've actually found that a lot of our work actually comes through word of mouth it's more of a traditional yeah i guess sensibility to acquiring new new projects you know it hasn't been the case that we have people contacting us through through instagram or or, or other uh, platforms it's been through emailing people that we want to work for or with making connections with other studios, whether it be architecture, interior, branding, you know, those are the avenues, I guess, that we that we are quite consistent on uh, and enjoy doing, you know, is making those personal connections. Um, and that's how we sort of found ourselves working with some, some, some great clients over the years. So, Yeah. And, 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 and Dave, what we're finding now, like especially at the start of this year, is that two projects we're working on have already come back to us to look at other projects. Yeah. You know, so um, for example, one's asking us to look at a, a holiday home and the other's looking at us to do a, a, a renovation to, 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 their, to the home that they're living in now while they wait for, for, the, for the other project to, to get off the ground because there's a planning process involved. You know, again, these things take time and... Yeah, you just got to be absolutely patient. There's there's, there's nothing you can do. Um, but uh, to the point is, yeah, referrals are. I seem to be the referrals, or, or or in the sense that someone's seen our work and then they've come to us for our work. Th- those are the strongest avenues for yeah for good relationships with clients and and ultimately good projects. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you mention kind of connections with other architects, sort of like referrals within the industry, you know, branding agencies. I know you guys are like neighbors with HiHo who did my branding, you know, like having kind of connections with people in the creative industry. I feel like your approach to putting stuff out there really resonates with fellow designers and fellow creatives because I think we just sort of love that approach. And so I sort of wonder if there's like a little bit of a connection there too where sometimes people wonder about whether a certain approach to brand or photography or video or social media is like more geared towards other architects, so to speak, or whether it's geared towards like clients. And there's always this kind of debate that kind of comes up about how you approach things. But sometimes I also think I I get the impression that it's not always a bad idea to actually approach, I suppose, marketing and branding in a way that actually does really attract your kind of industry you know, your peers and potential collaborators as well, right? Because it sounds like that has been something that's been important to you guys. 
there is this sort of dialogue that goes on in studios where they say that maybe maybe if we want to be more client oriented, we need to sort of like think about what they sort of do and and not what we like and what we do. And obviously, like you can just tell that I totally disagree with that, <laughs> like straight straight up. And I'm sure you guys kind of do too. But I'd love, I guess, your thinking on this idea of like I guess that authenticity to yourself and just doing what kind of you like and your own thing and I suppose like the benefits of that I, I guess in terms of you know it's okay there's still opportunity to connect with people and, and pick up potential clients even if you're not directly going out of your way to you know try and tailor the way that your company's seen to to potential clients. I was thinking yeah we probably do market to our own sensibility you know to ourselves. I think there are instances when when um the the partnership comes into play so mm -hmm. for example when we ran the renders for our project 101 commercial there was a couple of images that were created that jp and i just could not agree on we were you know the way it was represented right and i think i think what happens in that instance is we go all right you know what i loved it jp wasn't a fan so let's not put that out there right let's let we want to both be on board or at least both have the some some affection for for it, yeah. right? And and in that instance, we so we didn't put that image out there, and it didn't make a difference, right? It's something we've got in the back, in you know, on our on our um, on our in our filing system. And I think what happens in in that regard is 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 that both of us sort of have this this um, this this tension at times, but there's also you know there's also a lot of agree agree agreement mm. at times, and so we kind of navigate things that we're putting out there in, in that way, you know, yeah. um, when we're designing, yeah. for example, I'll often think like, Oh, if JP, we, we discuss a design change. I think to myself, Oh, if JP see something in that and I'm not sure about it. I go, well, let's keep pursuing it because one of us sees some value in it. And maybe it's just the way that in our mind's eye, we're, 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 we're seeing something that's obviously they're not the same thing. But if one of us, yeah, so if one of us sees something, then we keep pursuing that, you know, yeah. until it's sort of run into the ground or or it does elevate it yeah. into becoming, you know, useful. So I think it happens naturally. But it, I, again, I think the partnership is fantastic in, in, in solving those problems. Yeah, I think this is something that kind of folks and Peter's brought up on the episode we did, which was about having that that caring critic in the other partner and the person who is able to give you that sort of honest feedback at times on some of the ideas that you're pursuing and kind of like push you to, you know, maybe go go further with things as well at times. Is that the sort of dynamic that you guys have a little bit in those areas as well? Like imagine, I suppose, I guess, talking a little bit about the marketing stuff, but I suppose design generally, um, if you were just a sole, like a sole practitioner or a single director, um, making those decisions about whether it's like in good taste to do certain things, I imagine would be quite a bit harder if you were just kind of in your bubble in the office, uh, you know, thinking about the outside world, not having anybody to really sort of bounce those ideas off, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would agree with you completely. I think the, the beauty is, is that we've got next to me, I've got both someone who will praise it if it's right <laughs> And someone who will criticize it completely if it's wrong. And obviously there's some gray in between of that, you know, like I said, keep pursuing it or don't keep pursuing it. And uh, things can be resolved, you know, via the dialogue as opposed to, I guess, what would maybe be for a sole practitioner would be maybe something more internalized. 
So, and then also it helps. We both work in different mediums. Those sometimes help bring some color to a design problem, you know, whether we should get, should we pursue it, should we not? I get the impression that really the kind of the fastest growing, most successful brands in the architecture space in Australia at the moment are ones that have very strong or very balanced interiors as well as part of this their skill set and their kind of like acumen as a studio and that's just like an impression or a sort of something I've picked up and I see other countries where I don't feel that that is the case like other markets and they look at Australia and go like what's up with Australian architecture why is it so bloody good and a lot of the time I feel like my answer is that this this kind of like nice blend of interiors as well I don't know do you guys have any I guess like bigger picture thoughts on like the industry in a sense, like in terms of you've got your own experience having those different sort of skill sets and bringing them together. But I guess like looking outwards as well to the to the kind of the rest of the industry and like how you sort of see your your sort of blend fitting in that in the, in that landscape. I, I again, it's, it's it's something that I think is innate to to us. You know, to yeah. take it back, why we look at it from an interiorized lens. I think that, you know, if you're inhabiting a home, right, you do most of that from the inside, you know, looking outwards. And it's also where I think you have the control yeah, because you can frame views, but it's very hard to, to frame how something's viewed in a street, for example, because there's, there's so much other things you can't control. And so for us, the emphasis has always been on habitation and that human scale. And that's why we like that interiorized lens. But I think for us generally, we find architecture that we sort of gravitate towards and architecture that we like and admire, it's, it's by architects who consider the same things, you know, how someone uses a door or how someone views outwards, you know. And, um, and I think in that sense, architecture and interior design can't really be split. Yeah. I think if you start to split it, I think you devalue one element over the other. And Edward, JP and I, I think, draw the line is, is, is obviously we preface the, the interior looking outwards and that sense of, um, you know, where you get the best sense of refuge but also prospect and then how that works as an architectural formula. Um, I guess, yeah, it's just how we like it. Yeah. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find an architectural studio that doesn't have an interior uh, portion that, that I guess sort of considers that area. As a small practice, I think that's sort of where, where we differ, you know, the, the fact that we're a six-person studio and, and, and sort of can speak to both the architecture and interiors as one sort of cohesive design language is, I guess, where our point of a yeah. bit of a cliche, but point point of difference. You no, know, it's exactly right. It for is for lack of a better term. It but is. Yeah. Yeah. It is a point of discussion when we're meeting new clients to to speak through that process with with them. And it is the case that I think when we have actually acquired new clients that they they've told us that we've been awarded the work because we do have an interior. Um, yeah and an architectural sort of uh, element to, 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 to the practice, whereas a lot of other smaller studios uh, don't. So yeah. yeah, I think that's playing to our strength. It is how it is because that's how we, we like that idea. And, and um, like JP said, when, we, when we're going, we're pitching for, for, for projects because 
you know, the, the, the clients who come to us still might go to two, three other architects and, and we still have to put in a, a pitch to, to, yeah. to win their, to win their work. Um, but, but yeah, you, you know, applying that, that principle of saying, well, you know, we can do everything. Um, and, 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 you know, we've got the two backgrounds and then we come together, you know, that, yeah. that's, that's how we sort of present ourselves. Um, and I think in the in reality is we've got both of those two sort of, um, faculties, but for us, you know, it's, it's really, it, it, they become one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Principles JP um, will speak about in the studio aren't too dissimilar to the principles that I'll speak about, and and we have an understanding of when one of us wants to sort of peel away, or, or there's a there's a there's a sort of a, a hairline difference. That's when we'll you know maybe have a heated debate about how something should be, and uh, yeah, I mean that's sort no, of no, that's that's awesome. General. That makes sense. And I like that thing you mentioned, JP, you'd be hard pressed to find a popular successful practice that doesn't have like an interiors lens to it or element at this point. And I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned that it is actually a bigger challenge for smaller studios and small practices, right? Because it's like, how do you have the capacity to have that, that whole additional sort of set of skills? But you guys do because that's where your kind of partnership comes from. And I think that's really, really interesting. I see you as big risk takers in that area. And the, and the reason I feel that way is because I know that it's a big, it can be quite scary to, to engage a quite an expensive photographer and to get quite expensive renders and to get good videos made and to get good branding. And it can really intimidate a lot of studios in the first couple of years. And sometimes the first 10 years, it's too scary to take those kind of financial risks on some of those things. I think one thing I found from the studios I speak to is that they, they never really see those things as a risk. And I think that's an interesting kind of characteristic, but you guys weren't afraid of taking, like making those kind of big bets and those big investments in your work. I'd love to just get a better sense of, I guess, your thinking around that, your strategy around creating imagery, creating brand, all that sort of stuff that looks so, so polished and beautiful that there was not that temptation to go, oh, let's just kind of maybe do a slightly more stripped back version of this, a cheaper version of this, or, you know, let's take a little bit less risk on this and, and, and that sort of thing. Like could, could either of you guys kind of speak to that and you're thinking around that? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's a good question and I think it does, uh, I guess, surmise a young studio's mentality. It's that sort of playoff between... Um, getting your workshop and and uh, and not having it seen and 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 I guess the the cost that's outlaid in that I remember being a sole practitioner and investing so much time and effort and and sweat and tears and whatever else goes along with it with the project uh, it turned out amazing and I never got it photographed at the end and no one ever saw it I mean it, it, it was a fantastic project and and I guess from that day forward when we did sort of form the form the partnership I was I was very strong on working with a photographer that understood us that would be able to sort of portray our work in in in, in the right manner and light um, and I think our first project was probably Hybrid Grove or Bentwood one of one of the two and we teamed up with um, a photographer called Tom Blackford, mm. who we knew from around the scene and was doing fantastic work and, and still does fantastic work. 
and it just made sense. You know, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't, it, you know, to your point, it, it wasn't something that we, we, we made a conscious decision on in terms of the, the effect it would have on the business in terms of cost outlay, but it definitely brought or garnered a lot of attention um, through those images and brought in, uh, uh, I guess, projects and, 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 and more fees and, you know, great clients. Uh, by doing that so I think from that day forward we, we've been pretty um, hell-bent on on working with great uh, producers of images and 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 videography now as well so that was kind of part of our DNA from the very beginning is is working with people that, that would be able to portray our work both from a copy perspective and also from a from a visualization perspective so yeah I think that also goes hand in hand with the way we like to do things. I think sometimes we, we do throw caution to the wind and, and we'll go, you know, who's the best person to, that we believe anyways, that will capture the work, photograph yes. the work. Oh, I love to hear it. And then, yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, then, and then like there is, you know, it's, it's obvious to us at the time um, and, and, we, and we just go for that. And it's, and it's reflective in, in, in everything we do. It's it just, we just don't like, we just don't like going for the next best option. For us, it has to be, yeah. you know, it's like the whatever we think of, whatever we can dream of as being the best scenario, and then we start, you know, we'll start there, and, and we, you know, well, how can we, how can we do this? How can we make this work? And yeah, and that's very natural for us to do. You know, it's not like we sit there and and, and draw up spreadsheets to to analyze the cost benefit analysis of yeah of using one photographer over the other. Yeah. And at times, you know, when we started the practice, we had zero dollars in the bank, but we had good photos, you know, and <laughs> yeah. we were happy. Which are a huge yeah. asset. Like if they were on the balance yeah. sheet, they would be astonishing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No. yeah. And they've proven, and like JP said, they've proven to be a, an asset because they are good representations of what we do. Totally. Melbourne's a, a, a sort of a small city when, when you boil it down and you're working with creatives that, that have ties to hopefully future clients and, and, yeah. and people that you want to work with. Often the creatives that you, you're, you, you appoint will often, I guess, link you to the next client. So it's important to work with. Totally. You know, people that that are that are that have that kind of relationship with with others in the industry. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, like absolutely true. I didn't even think about that. Like, you guys work on you know Mr. P Studios office. They have every single developer in town coming in to commission. You know, fifty thousand dollars worth of renders. I mean, it's just like a, it's the perfect kind of connection for <laughs> for you guys. I absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah. There's something I picked up there, Gil, which is kind of like this idea of it's sort of an approach that's consistent with our values in other areas as well. Like the way you guys probably select products or furniture or objects or anything when you're designing something with your clients would be like, well, we want the best thing. <laughs> like, right. Like we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to try and have that kind of client as well that has a similar attitude of like, we want the best. And as a brand, we need to live up to that in what we do on our end as well. I always think when it comes to branding and that investment, particularly for architects, there's a big there's a big kind of consistency factor of like, are you kind of 
I hate to say eating your own dog food, as they say, but are you actually walking the walk? Like, for example, not you guys, but like the architect might be talking a big game about really the importance of design and custom design and bespoke design and the and the impact it can have on our lives. But then, you know, the thought of spending $10,000 getting like a brand identity done professionally for their own business, like completely freaks them out. And it's like, okay, you're being kind of inconsistent there in what you're trying to convey to clients versus what you're actually believing in yourself in a, in a way. So I think, I think it's so awesome that you sort of pick that up, which is like, it just is kind of how we are and what we, <laughs> what we embody is like, go for the best option and throw caution to the wind, which is exactly right. I, I feel like you guys have a really high level of risk, to- risk tolerance to just be like, you know what, we're not going to be able to figure this all out on a spreadsheet, but we just have to go for it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you necessarily think about it as a sort of a, a risk ratio. It's no, more exactly. it, to, to your point, it is very much intrinsic in the way in which we work. So yeah. And look, saying we want the best is one way of putting it, but it doesn't, doesn't, um, you know, Doing it one way doesn't mean that there's not another way that, yeah. can, you know, I'm talking about design here, but, of course. Um, you know, often we, we might mix a material that's incredibly ubiquitous, like concrete blocks, right, yeah. with hardwood spotted gum joinery, yeah. right? And, and in a sense, just because block work is a non-expensive building material, it doesn't doesn't mean that we would never look at it. Yeah. It, it, so it's a little, maybe a bit more nuanced totally. know, when it comes to design. Yeah, absolutely. But the question is, again, it's just about what we think is the best way to represent something, or what is the best way to design something. Yeah. And 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 trying to to make that work. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In terms of that contrast between something that's kind of more economical but used in a context that sort of like elevates it is there anything that you guys did in your kind of like i guess anywhere in the journey like in terms of the brand the the content the the stuff where you kind of maybe more in those earlier days where you found a kind of economical way to to make something look or become more elevated than it was i'm just kind of curious like was there any was there any tricks you had up your sleeve like earlier on to just kind of like fill a gap from, from I think from a like a branding perspective, yeah. the website, for example, for a long time, we just edited that ourselves and we just kept a, a low presence on our web page, but we had one, it had a couple of projects and it had our, and we just did that all ourselves because we couldn't afford to get the person we thought was the best for that. So yeah. for me, and, and I don't know if JP feels the same way, but I like to think that um, there's sort of two ends of the spectrum and one is that economical I'll just do that until we can afford to do it the right way. I think it's realizing that you don't have to take these sort of micro steps to get to the to 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 I guess the the end result. You know, it's about mm. understanding. Okay, when you have the funds or the ability to do something, you do it in the best way you can, right? And that might be holding off doing the website until we can work with a with a creative that we that we want to right yeah. and not taking the shortcuts and doing something well and right the first time as opposed to sort of stretching out and sort of maybe diluting the, the brand to a yeah. certain extent yeah i think you're absolutely spot on your brand and others sort of similar to you guys in a way that i'd put in this kind of category of kind of quality over quantity i think that thinking around it is a big contributor to how that 
how that comes together. I think I think one thing to note is also the fact that, you know, we've had the opportunity to shoot work from a very young age, do you know what yeah. I mean, in terms of the studio's lifespan. Yeah. Interior work turns around really, really quickly, um, whereas, you know, if you were uh, an urban designer and architect, right, an urban <laughs> planner, you may not have that opportunity. So it's yeah. about, all right, maybe we do do the website and we put a fantastic render up there and and we and we sort of draw people in through through that experience as opposed to having you know a fantastic instagram page with tons of finished projects yeah. so i think that's sort of something to consider as well uh, who you are yeah. uh, as, yeah, as as an office absolutely. what you're trying to achieve and god you guys would be such good um marketing and brand consultants for architects and interior designers i'd love it if you guys ever David. if you ever want to freelance on the on the like on the weekends <laughs> You know, it's it's so funny to hear that because I did I did commerce before yeah, I did I saw that. <laughs> architecture, and and I failed marketing like twice. <laughs> you know, I, I I ended up passing on the third time. You know, yeah, and yeah. and so I always thought to me, marketing is not something natural. Yeah, right? and I think maybe maybe what it is is that is that because I do something that I love doing. I just happen to get the marketing side of it. You know, it's maybe just part of what we do, and, um, and but that's because we we're, we 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 love the output. You know, what I mean, we want, yes. we want people to yes, yes, yes. To but I'm saying, saying we, we do it, we do it our own way. Yeah, and I'm saying that that maybe that, and that's I, I I don't have you know I'm yeah. speaking with Dave now, and I'm I'm realizing things. Yeah, that I think were 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 in the background, but weren't necessarily like you yeah. know, explicitly said. Yeah, which is pretty much every answer to every question I ever, like, ask on the podcast. Like, Noah, you know what you guys mentioned in terms of, well, that we, we, we weren't, like, strategically thinking about this, but this is, like, what we decided is basically how every every response comes up on the show. Yeah, these things aren't usually something that you sit down and, like, kind of methodically plan out. These are all the things we're going to do and why we're going to do them. But, you know, I've had people come from the marketing sort of world a bit more. Maybe they're working inside a large architecture practice. And when I'm suggesting that they, you know, engage a better, you know, more established photographer, for example they will want to see like numbers that would justify why there's a return on investment of spending that extra $2,000 or what have you. And like fair, fair question or fair challenge. But at the same time, I think in the architecture space, sometimes it's more of a, it's more of the vibe of the thing <laughs> in certain cases. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? There's a little bit more of, yeah. I can't tell you why it makes a difference, but we're sort of doing something a little bit, you know, it's a little bit intangible. I think there's more of that. Yeah. And there is always this thing about architects as sort of service versus product versus art form versus all this kind of disciplinary stuff. But I think there's maybe a little bit more of the ambig- ambiguity in the way that architecture is marketed. It's not so clean cut like some other business like sectors and industries. Like, would you kind of agree? Like, do you think that that's sort of your experience as well? No, I, I, I completely agree. And and when you get the calls from, you know, people trying to sell you Google adverts and stuff like that, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I just, I, I'll say to them, you know, I don't, you know, we've, we've tried that once, you yeah. know, as a, you get a freebie when you sign up <laughs> and it just, it, it, it was, it was, it, it brought nothing, Yeah, you know, it added no value yeah. um, to our business. And, and that's because we're not, you know, there's, 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 it's not a sort of a, a hard sell 
You know, yes. it's a very, it's that traditional sort of like, you know, selling model. It's something that's more nuanced. And I think that the people that we're appealing to are looking for something more nuanced. It is also the reason why we bought a very expensive coffee machine and chairs that at the time we probably couldn't afford <laughs> because we wanted the experience, you know, to yeah. be fantastic for our clients. You know, yeah. it was, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's important for us that that filters, that, that, that idea of quality uh, filters through uh, into, the studio. into the studio and out through through our work. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. Oh, that's great. I also love when any guest brings up the importance of studio space. You know, I'm working from the spare bedroom on the other side of the world from all my clients. I do all my meetings through Zoom. I'm offering very little in terms of <laughs> in-person studio experience. But I, I always get really excited by any client that brings up how they've like they've bought a you know a vacant space or whatever or a floor of a building and then just like transformed it into this kind of perfect reflection of what their studio is kind of about and it always just makes me go like oh god I need a career change because that sounds amazing (laughs) like I want to I want to fly right over to Perth and and get to meet in a beautiful room um, because it just sounds like the best thing ever and you guys have done the same sort of thing right yeah, yeah. So like JB said, for us, the, the studio experience is, is, again, it's another reflection of, of us as a studio. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've invested a lot of time and energy into making that space that we work in and have clients in really special, you yeah. know. I think another thing is also if you're working in a space, it sort of has to be, you know, or you're living in a space, you, you're going to get better output from it because it, it reflects you and it, and it works with, with the way you like to do things. Yeah, yeah. The story of our studio is that we got, we found this sort of 100 square meter space. It was, it was sort of decked out to be like, you know, an accountant's office, it had like this blue carpet, this like dingy little dark kitchen. And the first thing we did when we got there was, um, with the landlord's permission, of course, we, 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 we ripped out the carpet, we pulled out the, the kitchen, we did that demo over like three days ourselves, you know, um, and made an enormous mess. Um, but we had this like concrete and brick shell. Um, and then over time, we got, you know, a plaster to come in and do the re- replaster the roof. And we got the drawing room put in and the furniture, etc. So we built it over time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's got it's valuable it's valuable it's another right? one of those assets hey i love yeah. it i guess i'm just interested to i think understand maybe any thoughts you have on what the future of the practice might look like what's the plan that's a very good question something that we probably speak about a, a little bit in the office but i mean for me the architecture and interiors is is a journey. It's not about this sort of finality or the end goal. Yeah. It's about understanding and enjoying the process. And yeah. if we kept on doing the same quality of projects with great clients, then that would be equally as fulfilling as doing a, 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 a big sort of um, civic project. Yeah. Uh, I think for us it's about learning and, and, and sort of evolving as, as people and friends and, and sort of building a really great community around all of that, for me anyway, is, is super important. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. I mean, to, to the current trajectory, we're looking at projects in Sydney. We've just finished a gelateria in Perth. Cool. Um, 
and and so I see and we're getting we're getting more sort of inquiries from interstate. So I'd like to think that the studio can can expand or keep expanding beyond Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and it would be great to to be doing projects um, overseas too. I think the types of projects, like JP said, you know, to to take on new challenges and 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 apply our our design principles to to other sort of areas creates challenges for us, which we enjoy doing. We know we like the problem solving of a new typology, and so you know that might be you know where we, where we sort of would like to be continually. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm with you in terms of it's more about the journey than the destination. So I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to sort of focus on that as being this holy grail that you guys necessarily, you know, it's make or break that you do that. But it is interesting that that actually doesn't come up that often, really, surprisingly. Not that many studios mention that they have sort of aspirations to kind of go other places geographically. Like I think like a lot of the time there's this idea of, getting into kind of new categories of work and pro- and generally more public type of work it tends to come up a bit. But it's interesting to think about that expansion to to other places. And that does sound quite exciting. I mean, is the, is the kind of the fantasy that there's like Ritz and Gagassian Tokyo studio and you guys are going over there or like, or, you know, Milan studio or something? Like what's the... Two great yeah, cities, what's the What's the dream? <laughs> I think wherever an opportunity sort of takes us, for, for us, there's a dialogue in the office. We, we want to try and affect the most amount of people as possible. You know, it's beautiful doing a residential for two individuals or a family, but greater than that is having people walk through your space in a national gallery yeah. or a pavilion. So, you know, baby steps, but if we do get to a point where we're being offered to work internationally, then we'll take that with sort of uh, open arms and and try and run with it. Uh, There's some great studios developing in Melbourne, Sydney and and all around Australia and it's, uh, you know, it's it's nice to be regarded in competition or, you know, in, 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 in that sort of sense. For lack of a better term, we're not really in competition, are we? But but no, but know, like amongst uh, a good, like a very very strong kind of group of studios, like that. Yeah, there's just a bunch of absolute straight up killers out there. <laughs> like really, it is. It's, it's worrying. It's worrying. I know, I know. <laughs> At the same it's, times, it is. It is like um, the levels of the levels of talent going around. I mean, it is. It is. Yeah, it's 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 up there. But um, yeah, no, I know what you're I saying. I think that speaks to like the community as well that everyone's in conversation with one another and everyone's learning you know maybe once upon a time the the, the old adage you know studios sort of kept themselves and yeah. you know they didn't want details being proliferated yeah you know we are in constant conversation with one another now which is fantastic and that's just elevating yeah um you know uh, architecture in Australia yeah love it guys I think we better wrap up there because I, I want to let you get back into it any any final thoughts at all or anything just like last like one-liners before we before we wrap up just anything like recap anything that you that sprung to mind that you go oh shit I should have said that just any last bits and pieces uh, there's probably a thousand but but I think uh, for me anyway 
relationships are the most important thing for our office, both in practice but also in yielding the next project or, or acquiring the next project. So or even having the relationships with, with the people who put the projects in the ground and put, yeah. put them together. Yeah. 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 Focus on that. Love it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, excited to see what you're, what you're up to next. Amazing. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. That was my conversation with Gilad Ritz and John Paul Gagassian from Ritz and Gagassian. If you'd like to learn more about Ritz and Gagassian, you can visit ritzgagassian.com. You can also follow the studio on Instagram at ritzgagassian. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.